A reading from the Gospel according to John, continued from last week. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails on his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand on his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. O God, may the words that proceed from my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. And like the disciples, as we have met here behind closed doors, we invite you to come to us. Show us that you are a resurrected Christ. You are who you say you are. You will come to us and comfort us when we need you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. The last disciple ran through the open door and slammed it shut behind him. He quickly locked the door and turned to lean his body up against it and breathed a heavy sigh. His gaze met the other disciples that had gathered there in the room, and the silence drifting through the air needed no explanation, or at least no one dared ask. The fear was too thick that it seemed as if sound waves could not even carve out a path to get to another eardrum. And minds were choking with the worry that the Jews might find them, the perpetuating rumors circulating that Jesus was alive. Glances dart back and forth across the room as if somehow they would send signals that would jolt a plan into action in the existence of the brains of another. They were in a serious crunch. But at least for the time being, 
They were shielded behind closed doors in the safety of separation. We join the disciples today in the text on the same day that Mary has seen the risen Lord. Even before the infamous Thomas appears to doubt the resurrection, Mary has already professed her sighting to an unbelieving group of disciples that had trouble seeing the empty tomb as an act of resurrection. And not having seen Jesus yet for themselves, the disciples have gathered in a room away from the danger of all of the Jews. Now this is the Jews, the same group of people earlier in chapter 19 that have yelled out, crucify him. And now with these circulating rumors going around that Christ has risen from the dead, what might they do to them? This wasn't the Messiah that had just paraded down the streets on a donkey, hoping that he would conquer the political institutions of their time. No, this was a man whose reputation at that point hinged on a woman's story of an alive Jesus that she first thought was the gardener. And now this closed-door situation may not be so much fear of bodily harm as much as it is fear of sharing the witness of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Who would believe us? Do we have enough faith that the witness of this woman is true, that we can preach it with confidence? What happens if they don't believe us? What if we don't believe ourselves? In their glancing, the disciples slowly realize that one among them was missing. It was Thomas. Where could he be? Did he seek another hiding place? Was he already found out by the Jews? Would he become another Judas and tell about their location? Their wandering minds and racing questions must have distracted them from the door because when they looked up and came back to reality, they noticed there was a man standing beside it. The sound of their pounding hearts must have drowned out the creaking noise of the door. Or maybe even their thoughts had melted reality into oblivion. And despite their disbelief, time was actually passing around them. This man spoke to them, peace be with you, assuring them that he did not come with torch and pitchfork. And the disciples gathered around him, and they saw a peculiar familiarity in the man. And they approached him slowly, and they looked at his wounds. Then understanding and seeing this cordiality of a friend, the disciples' chaos turned into melodic rejoicing at the message standing before them. Then the risen Christ, housing the breath of creation, breathed the Spirit on them and imbued them with forgiveness. For behind closed doors, faith was realized. The disciples were greeted with the reality of the resurrection in that room soon after Mary. They now have proof and confidence of this message that Mary had given them, and now they could go and spread it to others with confidence. So they thought that they would give it a trial run with Thomas. Maybe a bit of anxiety could be relieved through that way. So they go to Thomas and tell him of the truth. And Thomas says to them, unless I see it, I will not believe. 
This may be a bit more difficult than the disciples thought. In modernity, now, Thomas gets his doubting reputation from that very statement and also the one that later we see Jesus saying to him that's often mistranslated as do not doubt rather than what's probably more appropriate as do not be unbelieving. Sometimes misrepresents the place of doubt in Christian formation with that translation. But you and I can't judge the character of Thomas as doubting without knowing his backstory, which we are not given explicitly in this passage. Where was he that first night of Jesus' sighting? Had he himself gone to the tomb in belief? Perhaps he had himself skirted into a back alley and thought about those same questions that ran through the disciples' heads. Who would believe me? Do I have enough faith in the witness of this one woman that it's true that I could preach it with confidence? What if I don't even believe myself? I wonder if the disciples, too, interpreted Thomas's words like many of us do today as doubting. Because it seems to me that we today are a little bit harsher on Thomas than the disciples. Because following his expression of disbelief, he was not excommunicated from the group. We see that he shows up at the next gathering with the disciples in the boarded up room one week later. They engage him simply as one of them. Just because he believed differently than they did, did not mean he was shunned from the group. I just want to cry out to the disciples at this point, though. But church of the disciples, this man did not even believe that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. How can you let him inside those closed doors? But did we ever once think about where Thomas was coming from? What his thought processes were that he brought from outside those closed doors in it? C.S. Lewis tries to chronicle this in one of his books called The Last Battle. In it, there's a character named Jewel who also wrestles with belief. And this is what she writes as she reflects on belief. Indeed, sire, I believe it all. If I seem not to, it is only that my joy is too great to let my belief settle itself. It's almost too beautiful to believe. Why else would Thomas have stuck around with the rest of the gang if it were not for some hope drawing him there that next week? That week, in between the resurrection appearances, had given them ample amount of time to think about the issue at hand. The disciples had now come and gathered again in their sanctuary, a space where their witness was safe. Each one entered into that space with their own ideas of how to navigate the situation. Some have spent their week spreading the gospel, while others spent theirs still in disbelief. Nevertheless, they've gathered back in the same space together. The silence of the previous reunion is now contrasted with the chatter of this one, each one making sure that his own opinion is heard. And the same man that found his way through the closed doors has entered it once again. 
Many in the room recognize him. Their belief warms their hearts with the familiar, peace be with you. Smiles spread across the room like wildfire as they watch Jesus approach Thomas. Thomas stands in bewilderment after realizing how this man might have heard him this week with his bout of disbelief. Because the man says to him, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand, put it in my side. Do not be disbelieving, but believing. Now there are no stage directions here in this portion of the scene. Jesus simply says it, and Thomas responds with a powerful proclamation of faith. My Lord and my God. But we don't know what's happening inside of Thomas's head. This part is often interpreted as a text that rebukes Thomas for, for being unbelieving and then seeing and touching the scars of Christ. However, if you look, this text doesn't actually say that Thomas touches Jesus. It's not necessarily the touching that causes him to believe. So what is it? Is there some hope? there that brought Thomas back to the room the second time, that hope that pushes him into believing that Christ is the one resurrected standing in front of him. Maybe it's even that in a moment of pride, he has to touch the wounds or see them with his eyes to cover the statement earlier in the week that he made. Oh yeah, I won't believe it until I see it, but now that I've touched it, I will. But if the crux of this story resides in Thomas's route to belief, then I'm going to have to ask John for a little bit more detail. If, or how does he come to believe if we are to follow suit? But as much as I today have tried to reclaim the integrity of Thomas, I'm not so sure that this story is even about Thomas. Okay, sure, it's a story about Jesus and the resurrection and maybe even a metaphor for the end times. But I'm not so sure that this story's main plug is proof of the resurrection, making it something like bandwagon politics that we see today of who to believe. Well, Mary believes. The disciples believe. Oh, look, even Doubting Thomas believes. Now you should too. But the disciples literally shut up room, as it says in Greek, is not what the focus is. Christ instead wants to turn our gaze to what's happening outside of that room. Depending upon the translation that you have, Jesus either says it or asks the question. He says, You have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Those who have not seen and have not come to believe. There is no present or future tense there. The spreading of the witness of the woman and the disciples during this week between appearances has brought people to belief. The very fear that they had for the spreading of this witness and they've locked themselves behind the closed doors behind of it, it has actually been making believers out there. The story does not hinge on the people inside of this circle, but on those outside of the doors. 
I used to think that the most textbook proclamation of faith in Scripture was Thomas saying, My Lord and my God, indicating his turn from disbelief to belief. But Jesus, in this passage, comes to say to a group of disciples that have hidden themselves away from the Jews that while they've been inside those doors trying to digest all of this, proclamation of faith was happening in those streets. It was reverberating throughout the hearts of many. And interestingly enough, this story's punchline appears after we think that it's already ended because the very next verses say, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. They are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is Messiah. It takes the story off of Thomas and declares its message for the reader who is on the outside of this boarded-up room. It's so easy for you and I to walk into this church every week and read people like we do Thomas, as if it were the things that we've done behind these closed doors that are who we are, that makes us who we are. We may look and we may say, well, they've not been here in a while. Well, they're driving a long way to get here, and they come in late oftentimes, so maybe they're not coming much anymore because of that. Or even, they didn't seem to talk much anymore when they were here, so maybe they're just shy. Or a variety of other things that we only see from what happens on the inside of our closed doors. But Christ appeared to Thomas And he knew and cared about what happened through the week. He knew what happened in his profession of disbelief. And in a combination of the hope of Christ being who he said he was and the disciples' determination not to give up on him, he remains part of that community through the week. And he shows up at the second gathering. The doors are closed around us now. And some of us want to think that the beauty of the story takes place in here, behind the closed doors. Just true, Christ meets with us in this space each week. But the reality is that the story happens outside of them. Christ could have very easily resurrected in the tomb and stayed put. And that really would have blanketed the statement he made about blessing those who have not yet seen but believe. But instead, he chooses to bring the resurrection outside of that tomb. We may feel that we have safely brought our witness behind these closed doors. But the message that Christ preaches is this. That while we are in here sorting out our belief and our disbelief, while we're trying to figure out a plan of how to safely spread the witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, things are happening out there. People are being made believers. Who then is this resurrection appearance for? Is it for Thomas? The disciples? Ourselves? This is for the reader of the word. The capital W. The one who encounters the Holy Spirit outside in the typical day-to-day. 
So do we sit here like the disciples and ask ourselves, who would believe us? Do we have enough faith in the witness of this woman that we can go out and preach it with confidence? What if they don't believe us? What if we don't believe ourselves? Or do we choose to unlock the door and give our attention to the weak, being the witness of a resurrected Christ whose story has not just come to save those here in our sanctuary, but has come to save the world? Pray with me. God, we thank you for meeting with us in this space each week. For we know that throughout the week, we can come here, a place to step away from the daily grind and meet with you. Thank you for creating a space such as this. The disciples were able to meet with you personally to see that you are the resurrected Christ. We are thankful for that witness. But, God, help us to know that we live in a week. The week where sometimes we are unbelieving. God, but there are people surrounding us just like those disciples that won't let us run away, that will bring us back, that will keep us grounded. And not just are there people that do that, but also the hope that you've instilled in us, that there is hope of a resurrection. And because of that resurrection, there is freedom and there is blessing. We pray, God, that this week as we leave here, that we can go out into this world and encounter you and know that even though we may not believe through the week, your hope is still there and you still desire, like Thomas, to come to us and to show us that your presence is all around us. It's in your name that we've gathered. Approach the text and pray. Amen.